0: The Lord has risen. Did you appreciate your choir this morning, church? Do we have reason to celebrate this morning, church? The Lord has risen. I direct your attention to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24 beginning in verse 36, Luke 24, and verse 36. Hear now the word of God. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought that they saw a spirit. They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, these are my words that I have spoken to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written, that Christ should suffer, and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Let us pray together. It does us great joy in our hearts this morning, Father, to consider the resurrection of your Son and our Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. It gives us great joy to hear Him praise this morning, that He has indeed conquered the grave, that He is the firstborn from among the dead, that He may be the oldest of many brothers and sisters. We praise you that you have demonstrated your power, that you have stretched out your mighty arm and shown that even death itself is no conqueror of you, that you are mighty even over the grave, and that we praise you that Christ has demonstrated this for us. We praise you for the word that he has left us to consider. We ask that you would help us. Strengthen our faith, we pray. Help those this morning who struggle to believe. Will you, Lord Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, implant it in their hearts, that they may turn from themselves and receive Christ as their Savior and Lord. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Ernest Shackleton left London in 1914 to cross the Antarctic, to be the first to pass over the South Pole. A month after leaving, his ship, the Endurance, became trapped in the Antarctic ice pack. There, Shackleton, his ship, and crew remained for the next 10 months until that ice pack crushed the ship. With no ship remaining, the crew of 29 scientists and explorers attempted to cross the ice pack in order to find the open sea. Doing so, they endured howling gales, and temperatures of negative 50 degrees below zero as they lived off penguins and seals. They finally reached the edge of the ice pack and there they launched their three 23-foot lifeboats into some of the coldest and wildest oceans on planet Earth. The waves would drench them over and over again as these tired 29 men rode over 100 miles, finally landing on an uninhabited rock jutting up from the sea. There they set camp, rebuilt one of their boats so that it could sail, and Shackleton and five others set sail for the whaling whaling station on South Georgia Island some 800 miles away. They were exposed to wind. Water, ice, and monstrous waves continued to roll over their ship for 17 days as they navigated the wild oceans with nothing but a compass and the stars in the sky. Finally, they reached the island. Though they were beset by a storm and drenched in icy water, they landed on the wrong side. Three of the men were too exhausted to continue, so Shackleton and two others set out to cross this island with a compass and 90 feet of rope. No map, no knowledge of an island which no man had ever traversed before. They marched for 36 hours straight over glaciers, scaling 5,000-foot peaks, traversing cliffs where they finally found themselves trapped on a ridge enveloped by mist, too exhausted to turn back, afraid that they would freeze to death if they stayed there. They sat down on the sloping sheet of ice beneath their feet, prayed to God Almighty, and pushed themselves off the ridge. They stopped sliding after a mile of travel. These three men reached the whaling station 497 days after they left, in which no one recognized them and no one at least immediately believed their story. Unbelievable, isn't it? It would be, if not for all the evidence. The three men on the other side of the island confirmed the report. The remaining 20 plus men were found 800 miles away on an uninhabited rock in the middle of the South Ocean. The evidence proved to be true. There was once a man named Jesus. He came from Nazareth. He claimed to be the Son of God Himself, that He is the Savior of the world. He proclaimed that He would be rejected and mocked and tortured and that He would be killed. And that on the third day, He would rise from the grave. And He did it. Unbelievable, isn't it? Oh, it would be, if not for the evidence that had been left behind. An empty tomb, a group of women who testified that they saw him, 11 apostles. Indeed, 500 people claimed to have seen the risen Lord. The apostle Paul would write about this event in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 when he said, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. That Christ Jesus died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. That He was buried and that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. That He appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. Then He appeared to more than five hundred brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive. Then He appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, He also appeared to me. This is what Paul is saying. If you don't believe in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, go ask those who saw it. In fact, there are over 500 of them, Paul would write to the Corinthian church, most of whom, he said, are still alive. Look at the evidence, he claims. In fact, I think the evidence is before us even this morning. As hundreds of us gathered together thousands of years ago because we believe that Jesus Christ conquered the great. I mean, you think about this man, Jesus, was executed by the mightiest nation in the empire in such a a disgraceful way, leaving his handful of followers disillusioned, cowering in fear. And yet, for some reason, this religious movement didn't fall away. For some reason, these men didn't go back home, didn't return to the lives from which they left, but rather, without any allies, without any resources, without any fame, without any prominent figure to lead their movement within one generation, this truth had spread to every corner in the Roman Empire, from Rome to India itself. Why? What happened to them to make such bold claims? Well, the Bible tells us they saw the resurrected Lord. In fact, Peter will proclaim in his first sermon in Acts chapter 2, This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Or in Acts chapter 3, you killed the author of life whom God raised up from the dead. To this we are witnesses. Or in Acts chapter 5, the God of our fathers raised Jesus whom you killed and we are witnesses. Or Acts 10 and verse 40, God raised him on the third day and made him to appear to us who have been chosen by God as witnesses. Or in Acts 13 and verse 30, God raised him from the dead and for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee who are now his witnesses. This is their testimony. And though they were abused and scorned, though they were, they were um, jailed and imprisoned, though they were killed eventually because they believed that Jesus had been raised from the dead, not one of them would deny it. Not one of them would say, well, listen, we all made it up. They would all go to their grave precisely because they claimed that Jesus conquered the grave. Amen. This was their claim. I, I wonder, why are you a Christian? I mean, why, why do you believe this outrageous claim that, that you do, that there was a man who died and three days later got up and walked out of his grave? Why? Why, why aren't you uh, a Buddhist, like millions of others? Why, why aren't you a Muslim, like over a billion people who live in this world? Or why aren't you a pluralist, like most Americans seem to be, that, that all roads seem to find their way to heaven? I'm not, I'm not trying to be cute. I want to know why do you actually believe this, this tale, this story, that Christ rose from the dead? I think perhaps we'd have many reasons. But if I may share with you the reason I believe this morning, the reason I stand before you this morning as a Christian man, one who believes that Jesus Christ rose from the grave, is because the tomb is empty, and that He, in His great grace, gave us a mountain of evidence to prove that He had risen from the dead. And I believe the evidence to be overwhelming. And so I would like to consider it with you this morning. What Christ left for us, the evidence of His resurrection. And if He did rise from the dead, I believe that 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 changes everything. I believe the impact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ cannot be overstated. So let's not just consider the evidence of His resurrection, but let's consider the effect of it as well. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, we are certainly glad that you have chosen to be with us this Easter morning. Perhaps out of kindness to a family member, you have come here. And we thank you for coming. I do want to know that I've been praying for you, and that my hope this morning is after hearing God's Word, you would realize the reason you do not believe that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead is not because there is a lack of evidence, but you do not believe it because you simply do not want it to be true. My hope is that God would overcome that disbelief. If you're here this morning and you're Christian, my, my hope is that the foundation of your faith will be strengthened. And as Pastor John read for us this morning, that you and I, like Paul, who, who prayed, will be able to live in the power of the resurrection. And so I think we would do well even now to silently pray to our Lord, God, help us to hear this truth and to rejoice in it. First of all, consider with me the evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You note verse 36. As they were talking about these things. Now what is it that they were talking about? Well, if you read the accounts that are found in the gospel, we know that two events have already occurred before Easter evening when Jesus would appear to the apostles. One was that a group of women went to the tomb at the beginning of dawn, and there they saw the stone had rolled away, and there was no body of Christ. And they were encountered two angels there who said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He has risen, as he said... And then the rest of the morning, individuals ran back and forth from the tomb trying to figure all this out, trying to confirm these reports. The Bible tells us that Mary Magdalene herself actually encountered the risen Lord Jesus and embraced Him there in the garden tomb. In fact, you see their account here in in Luke chapter 24 and verse 9 when it says, they're returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest." Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. So they were talking about these women's testimony. But another event took place is that Jesus appeared with a fellow named Cleopas and his companion on the road to Emmaus. And there Jesus would, would reveal himself to these individuals. We see that there in the middle of Luke 24. Just note their testimony in verse 33 of Luke 24. And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven. And those who were with them gathered together saying, The Lord has risen indeed and he has appeared to Simon. And then they told what had happened on the road and how he had... He was known to them in the breaking of bread. And then we see here in verse 36, as they were talking about these things. And so they were discussing all these reports. Everybody uh, this Easter morning is saying, wait, I've seen them, and the tomb is empty, and the grave clothes were lying there, and we beheld an angel. And, And all these reports were coming, and they were considering these things, debating whether they were true or not. And I wonder if Jesus just got tired of this silly debate, and so He decided to show up and settle the count for once. As we see in verse 36, Jesus Himself stood among them. And said to them, peace to you. And so here Christ actually shows up. And he begins to talk with them. In fact, you note their reaction in verse 37. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. I believe this probably be your reaction too. If Jesus showed up in your living room, you may be startled. You may be a little overcome. You may even be frightened as they were, for they think that he is a spirit that he is a ghost. Now, I've never seen a ghost before. I've never beheld a spirit. I don't quite understand those people who want to. That is certainly not on my list. And I think if I did see one, I would be frightened as well. But what Christ wants to settle here in this upper room with these apostles is that the gospel is no ghost story. He is not simply some apparition, some spirit floating around, but he has been raised physically, historically, literally from the grave. And he says to them, I want you to, fellows to touch me. I want you to see me. In fact, I want you to listen to me. In fact, consider the evidence through the touch that he gives them. For verse 38 says, he said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your heart? See my hands and my feet that it is I myself touch me and see for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as that you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. The point that Jesus is trying to drive home is that he's not a spirit, that he's not a ghost, that he has physically and bodily been raised from the grave. His feet are not floating off the ground. He is not intending for you and I, by the way, when we receive our resurrected bodies, the throat from cloud to cloud, from harp to harp, we shall be raised bodily as Christ was raised bodily. He says, touch me, for ghosts do not have flesh and blood. He tries to prove this to them. But we also secondly see evidence through sight for verse 41 tells us, And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it before them. You see, they're still struggling with doubt and Christ wants to overcome this doubt. They, they think it's too good to be true. They're marveling, the Bible says. They are amazed at this reality. And in order to remove that doubt, he says, give me something. Let me show you something. He's trying to remove the doubt that they have. Watch this, he says. And he takes a piece of fish and he eats it in front of them. I find it ma- amazing that throughout Jesus' earthly life, at least before the resurrection, he's performing miracle after miracle in order to prove that he is divine. And it is after his resurrection he does not walk on the water or calm the storm or feed the thousands. Rather, he feeds himself in order to prove that he has been raised from the grave. And this would not be the only time that Jesus would eat. Luke 24 earlier in this account shows us that he ate with these fellows on the road to Emmaus. In John 21, we see him cooking breakfast. In Acts chapter 1, the Bible says while he was eating with them... In fact, Peter would argue for the resurrection in Acts chapter 10 by saying, He was seen by us who ate and drank with Him after He rose from the dead. The point is that ghosts don't eat. Ghosts do not drink coffee. They don't gather around and have meals with people. Christ is trying to demonstrate that He has been raised. That He has a body. Not had a body. He has a body. Today He has a body. And He forever shall have a body. He has not left His humanity aside. He has become fully human and at the same time is fully God. And forevermore He shall be. This is our hope and our promise that we too shall be raised from the dead physically and bodily. That we like Christ for all eternity will eat and drink. And He gives them this Evidence through sight. Watch me, he says. But interestingly enough, Christ doesn't end there with evidence from touch or evidence through sight, but he gives them evidence through Scripture. For you know, verse 44. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written that Christ should suffer on the third day and rise from the dead. You see, it's not enough that they experience the resurrected Christ. But He wants them to base their belief in the resurrection on the testimony of Scripture. You you and I should beware of Christians who say that uh, all they are looking for is an experience with God with no grounding in the Word of God. Yes, Jesus gives us experience. He's giving them one right here. But He wants them to understand this experience in light of what God had previously told us in the Word of God. Understand His resurrection in light of the promises all the way from the law of Moses through the prophets and the Psalms that all pointed to Christ as we see in the garden that He is the seed of the woman who will cry. The serpent's head, and that he is the garment that clothes um, Adam and Eve's nakedness, and he is the ark upon which we climb into and are saved from the wrath of God. And he is the only son that replaces Isaac, for whom he has died for us. And he is the Passover lamb by which they put the blood of that lamb above their threshold door in order that the angel of death may pass over them. He pointed it, he says, I want you to understand, this has always been the plan look at the word of God the son of God must die and be raised from the grave and he sat there and he taught them these truths he wanted them to understand the evidence of his resurrection you see friends Jesus goes to great lengths to prove it is true I praise the Lord for this I praise God that he doesn't come to me and says listen you just have to trust me on this one he got up from the grave you just have to believe no, he, in great compassion, does not demand that of us. He has given us evidence after evidence. Some people say, I would be a Christian if Jesus appeared to me. I would be, believe if God wrote his name in the sky or performed some other miraculous activity. Unless I see, they echoed Thomas, I will not believe. And I wonder Why? As you and I believe things all the time based upon eyewitness testimony. I believe that Duke University won their basketball game on Friday night. Of course, that's not hard to believe. But I believe it not because I was there, but because the testimony of others declare it. I believe there once was a man named Napoleon who declared himself to be emperor of France. I was not there. I did not see it. But others did. They testified it to be true. I believe the first president of the East United States was a man named George Washington. Never met him before, but others had, and they declare it to be true. You see, what Jesus is giving, He's giving us eyewitness testimony in order that testimony may be communicated to us through the hundreds and thousands of years that we too may have evidence of belief. Friends, Jesus is alive. Jesus is risen, and He has given us evidence so that we may trust in this. I mean, why else would the tomb be empty? Where's the body, I wonder? Why else would these women claim that they saw him? Why would Matthew explain that the first witnesses are women who in this day couldn't even testify in a court of law? In fact, if you're going to make up a story, you've got to get better witnesses than this. Why did John say the grave clothes lied there in the tomb undisturbed? Why add that little odd fact? Why were the Roman soldiers paid off and why were the Jewish authorities unable to produce a body? In fact, why was the denial of the resurrection not used to attack Christianity in the 1st and 2nd centuries? We have all all sorts of records of people who attacked our religion, but they never attacked the resurrection. Friends, if we have a weak point, here it is. We believe a man got up from the grave and and lived again. If you're going to attack us, attack us there. But there's not a single account of such an attack because it was too widely known to be true. Why else did these traditional Jews give up their day of worship, which was mandated by God, and move it to the Lord's Day, the day of the resurrection? Why else would the apostles die for their claim that Jesus rose from the dead? They got no fame, no money. They didn't get on TV. They got murdered. And yet not one would recant. I wonder, did it happen? Did Jesus raise from the dead? Did he rise from the dead? You do understand, I hope, that Christianity is unique in this. That all other world religions, whether major or minor, are all based upon some philosophy, some system of ethics, some supposed divine revelation. There is one religion alone, Christianity, which is founded primarily on historical event. And if Christ was not risen from the dead, I'm going home. And I'm going to find a new job. It is based upon this event. And so, friends, when I ask you, did Jesus rise from the dead? I'm not asking you a religious question. I'm not asking, do you like his teaching or does his philosophy enhance your life? Does it work for you? I'm asking you a historical question. Was there a man named Jesus of Nazareth who got up from the grave and lived? Well, friends, if he did, I believe everything has changed. I believe everything has changed. For you note the effect of the resurrection. We see that these apostles go from sorrow to joy. The Bible tells us even in Luke chapter 22, when he arose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. This is an account of Gethsemane. Even before Christ went to the cross, they were filled with sorrow. We see this with these fellows on the road to Emmaus as they're leaving Jerusalem, distraught that Jesus had been killed. We see in Luke 24, in verse 15, while they were talking, discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And so Jesus finds two pilgrims, two of his followers, walking away from Jerusalem, and he catches up with them. And he kind of asks them, hey, what are you fellows talking about? What's going on? What's the news? And they respond to him in verse 17. And he said to them, what is the conversation you're holding together? And they, note this, and they stood still looking sad. They stopped. Full of sorrow. They were actually couldn't believe that Jesus didn't know what was going on. Verse 17, if we read on, verse 18, excuse me, says, Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? Right? Are, are you new here? Don't you get out? Right? At, which, at which we wish Jesus was like, yeah, I got out this morning, right? I left the door wide open. Yeah. But Jesus, in his great grace, probes a little bit farther, doesn't he? And he, we read in verse 19, he said to him, what things? And they went on to tell him of their great sorrow, that they're the one they hoped to be the Messiah is dead. That he has been nailed to a cross. Jesus then takes the opportunity to explain to them once again from Scripture that the Messiah must die. But that is not the end. The cross is not the end, but it is the beginning to glory and that he would be raised from the grave. You notice how this story ends here in verse 29. But they urged him strongly saying, stay with us for it is towards evening and the day is far spent. So He went in to stay with them, and when He was at table with them, He took bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were open, and they recognized Him, and He vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while He talked to us on the road, when He opened to us the Scriptures? And note verse 33, And they arose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and found the eleven and those who were with them gathered, saying, The Lord has risen indeed. I find it interesting that they ask Jesus to stop because it's nighttime. They have traveled a full day from Jerusalem. It's time to stop. Why don't you stay for dinner? Jesus stays for dinner. He reveals to them who He is. And what do they immediately do? The Bible says at that same hour. That is, in the middle of the night, they travel a full day's distance back to Jerusalem because they are overcome with the joy of the risen Lord. The Bible tells us in Matthew 28, the women departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. We see the joy that Jesus implants in our hearts here in Luke 24 and verse 50. When, we, when the Bible says, then he led them out as far as Bethany and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and, car- and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. This is what Christ does because He has risen from the grave. He puts joy in our heart. He foretold as much in John chapter 16 saying, You have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. Christian, I want you to understand because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you have the right to be joyful and ought to be joyful forever. Not to say you won't have sorrow, distress, trouble, or trial, but it is to say that Christ has put in your heart, because He has conquered the grave, an indomitable joy, a permanent joy, a joy in which we stand upon as the world comes against us knowing that Christ is alive and He has taken our sorrow and placed joy. In our hearts. I tell you, if Jesus rose from the dead, everything is changed. In fact, he not only give, gives us joy in the place of sorrow, he gives us fear in the place of boldness. The apostles here on this Easter evening are afraid of everything, it seems. In John chapter 20 and verse 19, the Bible says, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, behind locked doors, hiding. So they're afraid of the Jews. They're afraid of the Romans. They're afraid of death. They were afraid of Jesus as well as we saw. Jesus shows up, stands among them, according to verse 36. And do you see his words that he gives? Shame on you, you bunch of cowards. You know, when I needed you, when I was being nailed to a cross, when I was being dragged away by the temple police, you all turned tail and fled. I can't believe you're the ones I picked. At which we would say, amen, right? Preach it, Jesus. You see his words in verse 36? Peace to you. Those are the first words of the resurrected Christ. Peace to you. There was once a time that Jesus stood on the bow of the boat in the midst of a raging storm, which the disciples thought would sink their boat, taking their lives in the middle of that sea. He stood on the bow and he said, Peace, be still. And the wind and the waves obeyed. Now he shows up amongst his followers And there is a storm raging in their hearts. They too think they are going down. And his word for them is peace to you. Up to this point, they could not have peace with God. Christ had to die for their sins, to pay the wrath that is due for their rebellion, to be their substitute, and to be raised from the dead. And the first word he has for them is that they now have peace with God. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 5 and verse 1, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is what Jesus brings. The resurrected Lord brings peace in our hearts. And this peace is, it, uh, gives life to the boldness in which they have. For you note verse 46. And he said to them, Thus it is written that Christ should suffer on the third day rising from the dead. And repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in this city until you are clothed with power. On high, He says, you're going to be my witnesses to this. I'm going to overcome this fear in your heart and you are going to go out and proclaim that I died and that I rose and that a people will repent and put their faith in me. I will forgive all their sins, giving them eternal life, adoption into the family of God. They did so. Full boldness. The Bible says in Acts chapter 4, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they were astonished. And they recognize that they have been with Jesus. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we are to have this boldness because Christ has risen from the dead. You understand that the kingdom marches on with us. We are not to be silent. We are not to be withdrawn. We are not to be afraid. We are not to to withdraw from our culture, lock the doors for fear that we might get uh, polluted by them or they may influence them. We are to go out into the world proclaiming that there is a man named Jesus, the Son of God, who died and rose and is coming again. This is our message. We are to be bold in it. We are not to hide in work, afraid of the shame that it may be brought upon us that we believe in such silly things that the world would call. We are not to keep these truths in t- with ourselves. We are to proclaim it. We are, For this reason, we are to give to the Annie Armstrong Easter offering. It's because this reason we are to go to Eagle Butte to proclaim the gospel. It is for this reason we are to take the gospel around the world to places like Tana and Papua New Guinea and wherever God may lead us. I want you to understand this morning that because of Easter, Christian, God no longer holds your sin against you. You are forgiven. Because of Easter, God is your Father. Jesus is your Lord. Whom then should you fear? If Christ arose from the grave, everything is changed. The question, I think, then, is did he rise? Did he rise from the grave? If he didn't, you and I, the Bible says, are pitiful fools. Scripture tells us, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sin. But if he did, everything has changed. Do you believe that? I hope you've heard this morning, my friend here who is not a Christian, that if you will place your faith in Jesus Christ, the risen Lord, he shall forgive all of your iniquities, all your sins, all your lawbreaking, and that he shall invite you into eternal life you can do so today, if you believe that Christ rose from the dead. I believe He did. I believe it ought to change everything. What I'm amazed at is that there are so many people who believe that He rose from the grave and it changes nothing. They treat the world just as the world treats it. They treat their spouse as the world treats their spouse. They treat their money as the world treats their money, their possessions, their times, their thoughts. It makes no difference in their life whatsoever. I tell you, friends, I think the resurrection ought to turn the world upside down. Because if Christ rose from the dead, you and I can sacrifice. We don't need to accumulate in order to get on top. We can be generous if Christ rose from the dead. We don't have to to live in fear that he who has the most toys wins. We can have courage if Christ rose from the dead because the power of death is broken. We can have joy if Christ rose from the dead because even in persecution for righteousness sake our reward is great in heaven. If Christ rose from the dead, we can be risk-taking because every loss taken shall be made up for you one hundredfold in the kingdom to come. If Christ rose from the dead, we can love our enemies because every injustice will be rectified. If Christ rose from the dead, we can forgive those who have offended us and sinned against us because of the great debt in which you and I have been forgiven is incalculable. If Christ rose from the dead, we can have peace that is triumphant because greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. If Christ rose from the dead, you and I can have power to fight against sin because one day we shall be made completely whole without impurity, with no struggle, with greed, or covetousness, or anger. If Christ has been risen from the dead, we can have hope in pain because the decay of your body is just a prelude to your glory. If Christ has been risen from the dead, you can have hope in sadness because there is a day coming. Well, there'll be no more mourning, no more tears, no more crying, for the former things will pass away. If Christ has been risen from the dead, you can have hope even in the midst of conflict because there is a day coming when spears will be beaten to pruning hooks and war will be no more. If Christ has risen from the dead, you can have hope in death for all, for those who are in Christ will rise with Him never to die again. Friends, I tell you, if Christ has been risen from the dead, you can have hope for eternity because God is your God and you are His People and the glory of the Lord will be your light and your joy forevermore. If Christ has been risen from the dead, everything is changed. Amen. Pray with me, please. Please, Father. Do not ever let us become so accustomed to the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ that it becomes an old hat for us. Please let us never have the attitude, oh yeah, he rose from the dead, of course. Please help this truth that you have in your great grace given us so much evidence for be the foundation upon which we stand. For in this world, we will have trouble. There will be trial. There will be distress. There will be danger. There will be death. It is a hard place to live. We are surrounded by enemies, whom we are called to love. I pray that these truths, which we hold so dear, will implant within our heart a great indomitable joy and hopeful peace and a willingness to be bold knowing that God is with us and God is for us because Christ has been risen from the dead. Remind us, O Lord, our Father, that this is not our home, that because Christ has been risen from the dead, we go to another land, that we are pilgrims here here on this earth to do your work, not to make heaven here on earth, but, Father, to march to heaven on this earth, boldly proclaiming that we love Jesus and that he is alive. Help this to be our truth. Help this to be our hope. Help this to be our longing and dream, ambition, desire, the song in which we sing, Christ is risen. What else matters? That's the truth we stand on. Help that to be true for us. I pray for my friend here this morning who refuses to believe. Father, I ask that you give him faith. I ask that you help him to bow his knee to Jesus as Lord. I help, pray that you would help him to know that you would offer him full amnesty, full peace, if he would lay down his arms of rebellion and receive Christ, placing his faith in him. Do this even in his heart, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We come. To-